the pathway to purpose, discipleship. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to live in loving and sacrificial obedience to his word. So are you disciples? Since you've been saved, have you become disciples as well? To be a disciple means that you follow the word of God and you're obedient to his word. Do you know how many blessings are attached to being obedient to God? Just the other day, I was in um, Delphus, Ohio, not too far from here, due west, and I was at work, and we, have, was having, we were having a summer camp there uh, for the D.A.R.E. kids. And I looked over across the field, and I remember I was standing by that fence several years ago when I got a phone call. The church was in need of a van. We did not have a van. We desired to be able to pick up people for church, but we had no van, and uh, God didn't want us to buy one. Because when he wants you to buy something, you'll have the money to do it right then. But he had no desire for us to pay for it because he was going to uh, foot the bill. So I got a phone call that day standing by the fence, and they said, hey, uh, do you have a, well, they said, we've got a van. We, we, we have a van for your ministry if you're interested in it. I said, well, wow, praise God. Yes, we are. But, you know, your mind starts going to, well, man, how much are they going to ask? Like, what's the charge? And he says to me, um, do you have a dollar? And I, nev I never carry cash, but I felt down in my, my pocket, and I had one single dollar bill in my pocket. And I said, yes, I actually do have a dollar. He said, well, you know what? That's how much the van is going to cost you. We're also going to put whatever you want on it. We'll put your logo. We'll do whatever you want, and it will cost you nothing except that dollar. Can we give God praise for that? Well, well, why is this? See, this is what you need to learn about finances, okay? When you say that all your money belongs to God and you'll be obedient to do whatever he wants you to do with it, that means that there's a kingdom account, there's a kingdom flow that comes from heaven into your life because God will trust you not to be a thief and also trust you not to build bigger storehouses, right? So when you connect your finances to the kingdom of God and say, God, not just 10% of my money is yours, all of it is yours. Then he says, hmm, okay, well, in turn, all of what I have is yours as well. So God knew he didn't want us to pay for a van because we feed the homeless and we help people as they need it, right? And we don't need to be spending thousands of dollars on a van when we're trying to help and build the lives of people around us. Well, just a few days ago, I was there and... This week at Compel was a little bit difficult. I thank that for, I'm thankful for the help of Jim and Steve and Elder Eric, but we were out there loading these heavy uh, wagons into that van, and the back seat of the van does not go down, so we had to lift up over the seat. Uh, then we had to fill uh, Brother Steve's van with um, the coolers. It was just so difficult to do all of that to, to move it downtown, right? So if God is telling us to go, man, this is good. If you're taking notes, write this one down. God will finance your go if he tells you to go. Because God never says, uh, how much money you got? Before he asks you to do something, right? He's going to finance the go. So since he's sending us out of this neighborhood now to sow into new ground, because we did compel in this area for many years. So he's saying, I want you to go downtown now. And then we're going to be going to either Martin Luther King Park down there or going to the mall to do a drive. Wherever he says go, we're going to go. But we need 
things to help us transport those things. And if we're going to be preaching the gospel, Jim did his best on Thursday to sing with an acoustic guitar. He said, but listen, if you can't smell the, the, what I ate for lunch, then you might not hear me. You need to move in, right? So we needed audio equipment, and we also needed a trailer in which that we could put the stuff in. So I looked over at that spot in Delphus, that same spot that I got the phone call from, and something stirred up in, on the inside of me. And that thing that stirred up on the inside of me was that thing that Ruby showed you at the beginning of service. Just a little mustard seed of faith. That's all you really need to believe God. And I said, God, well, we need a trailer, and we need audio equipment, God. And I believe, and I was believing in my heart. I never said it out loud, but that he could do it with it. 24 hours. Guess what he did? Within 24 hours, we received phone calls saying, I've got this and I've got that and I've got a trailer for you. I had a man call me uh, who was DJing, right? He had over $5,000 worth of DJ equipment, the top, of the top of the line stuff that he was doing weddings for with. And, and he was thinking uh, to earn more money, he would keep doing weddings. But he woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning and looked on Facebook and saw what I had put. That I was asking people to join me in prayer, uh, combine our faith. He looked at it, and the Holy Spirit convicted him right there. He said, give it to him. Give it to him. I'm, I'm trying to tell you. I'm trying to tell you that some of you are blocking your own blessings when you don't participate and compel. When you don't go, when he said go, you don't understand that that shuts a window in heaven. He wants to bless us, but he does not bless disobedience. We've got to stop being disobedient. We've got to stop being fearful and go when he says go. He opens up the windows of heaven and pours out blessings for those who will do what he says to do. How's your retirement accounts doing? Ouch, right? But if you put your faith and trust in God, you will never have to worry about the stock market because heaven never crashes. You see, our goal, our money is based on the gold in Fort Knox, so they say. I don't know how you do that with a deficit like we got. But do you know that the streets of heaven are paved with what our money is worth down here? That's how rich the kingdom of God is. So if you put your faith and trust and confidence in him, you will never go without. The pathway to purpose discipleship. Again, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to live in loving and sacrificial obedience to his word. Let's look at the call to follow. What does it mean to be a disciple? What is the definition of a disciple? And I think we get this half right. When it comes to being followers of Jesus Christ, the reason the world is like it is now is because we get the call to being a disciple half right. Listen to this definition. A disciple is one who accepts and, church, can you say and? and. One who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrines of another. So by large, many of you have been born again and you have accepted Jesus Christ as your savior and you've accepted his teachings. Can you say amen if that is true? Amen. amen. So you're a disciple of Jesus Christ in that way. But did you know that that's not it? To be a disciple, you also have to assist in spreading the doctrines of another. That's what the, the disciples were called to do was to spread the good news. Matthew chapter four, that's where we're going. Beginning in verse 18, 
It says this, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Church, say this to me. He sees me. It says he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net in the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Can you imagine that? A total stranger walks up to you while you're at work and says, stop doing what you're doing. I'm going to teach you how to follow, how to fish for men. And that there was no more conversation. We would have some questions. Like, how much does this fishing for men pay? Like, I got, I got, I've got some bills I need to take care of, right? But no questions. It says they dropped their nets and followed him immediately. Who was this man, Jesus? Just think about that. He walks up to them. He must have been so full of love, so full of peace, so full of grace and truth that when he asked them, they were like, I don't know why I'm doing this, but something on the inside of me says to just go. He didn't say, come follow me, the son of God. You know, he didn't reveal who he was to them. He just said, come and follow me. They didn't ask where they were going. But they just went. Verse 21, a little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers. Church, can you say this with me? He sees me. James and John sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. He called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. I ask you to say he sees me because we know that he does. We weren't fishing, uh, but we were uh, living in sin, weren't we, when he called us. We were walking far away from him. We were in death. We were enjoying the pleasures of sin when Jesus said, come and follow me. And what we should have done and what I celebrate most of you have done is we dropped those nets and said, okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Verse 23, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues. What was he doing? Teaching. To teach, he, what was he teaching? He was teaching his truths. He was discipling them. He was giving them his doctrine, the new doctrine that the kingdom of heaven had come to earth. Announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed, so not only did he teach, but he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began to be, began bringing him all who were sick. Let me tell you something. As we keep leaving this church and going to the square or wherever we go, you see, we're going to pray for some drug addicts right, that have been trying to kick the habit by themselves for years, and we're going to lay hands on them, and God is going to supernaturally deliver them from the power of, of darkness, and what they're going to do is go to a crack house or a dope house or a back alley and say, listen, 
You don't have to do this anymore. I met some people and they prayed for me and I haven't had a drink or I haven't injected drugs in, in, in over a week now. You see, they begin to, the news begin to spread because signs and wonders will follow those who believe. See, we're not going down there just to talk. We're going down there so that the power of God might be displayed in this city. You see, I, I know that we have a new mayor and God God bless our new mayor, but there's only so much she can do through legislation. We need the power of God to be loosed in this city, and this city will be turned upside down. Let me ask you this. What have you been going to church for all these years? Why all this learning? When do you get, when do you get out of orientation? At some point, you should say, Orientation is boring. Like every time I show up to work, I got to go to orientation again. They must not trust me. Why did you hire me if you're not going to allow me to leave orientation? So what I want you, I want faith to stir up in all of you and say, God, you called me out of darkness into your marvelous night. Not just to sit at church on Sundays and listen to messages. You called me for a, a mighty purpose. He called us with his disciples meant to do everything that they saw him do. And the Bible is for our understanding that we will begin to display the same power that Jesus had on the earth. So my question is this then. If we're not going and if we are not preaching the kingdom, if we are not praying, if we're not seeing these things... The question comes back to Ruby's little glass. Sometimes, sometimes it's not the amount of faith, the size of the faith that stops us. Sometimes it's just that the faith is not being used. Do you hear what I'm saying? The faith that you have can be small enough to move a mountain, but you've still got to take it out of that jar. It still has to come out. It still has to be displayed. What does the word say? Faith without works is dead. Let's keep going here. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. You see, they began to bring to them. All right? If the same thing happened to the disciples after Jesus left, they began bringing the sick to them. I promise you this. If word gets out about you and the power of your God, you'll be sitting at work at your desk and somebody will come to your desk with a headache and say, listen, I don't go to church, but I know you do. I've got a terrible migraine and I've had it for days. Will you pray for me? I hope that your faith is to the point where the faith of the non-believer would be, where you would say, yes, I will pray for you right now. Amen. Let's keep going. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea and from east of the Jordan River. So the question becomes this, church, who do you say he is? Let's go to Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 20. Who do we say Jesus is? We sang his name powerfully a little bit ago. At the core, who do we say this Jesus really is? Luke 9 and 18. One day, Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him, and he asked them, 
So it's just like this moment right now. The vast majority of you in this room are saved and you're followers of Jesus Christ. And so he's proposing a question to us. Who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other ancient prophets risen from the dead. Then he asked them, church, here is where the power is. Here is where the power is in your own lives. He asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah sent from God. This morning, I want you to take a moment and I want you to think about who you really say that Jesus is. Because whoever he is, that's what you're going to portray to the world because he lives on the inside of you. So if, this makes a lot of sense, if Jesus is only, because some people approach Jesus and they would say, teacher, teacher, rabbi, rabbi. If Jesus is only a teacher to you, then you will be content coming into this room and listening to these sermons, but that's about it because Jesus is just teacher to you. You desire wisdom. You desire to hear the word. But let me tell you something. Jesus is way more than just a teacher, right? Because yes, his words are true, but they're also powerful and alive and active. So we got to we have to begin asking ourselves, Jesus, I want to, I need to pray. Father, I pray now in the name of Jesus Christ, myself included, that a new, oh Jesus, a new revelation would come to your people about who you are. May we be able to say without a doubt that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one who rose from the dead, the one who has all power and authority. In Jesus' name, amen. Because if this is true, if you believe Jesus to be the Messiah, if you believe Jesus to be the powerful one, the, the anointed one, then here's what I believe. However we see Jesus is what our Christianity duplicates, okay? Because the word of God says that as he was in this world, so are we. So how do you believe he was in this world? He was not just a teacher. He was a healer. He was a deliverer. He was the son of God and, and uh, made manifest in the flesh. We need a new revelation of who the Messiah is because whoever we think he is, that's who will show to the world. But he has a question for his disciples, and we got to take this one to heart. We're going to Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49, and it says this. I think Jesus as the great shepherd was becoming frustrated. And to be honest with you, I have to pray against my own frustration sometimes being a shepherd and being a pastor because the world says this, uh, you're not a leader unless people are following you. If nobody's following you, then you're not a leader. Jesus was surely a leader because people followed him. But he had a question for his followers and it went like this. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? So if Jesus is Lord, is, is Jesus Lord today? Okay, come on, guys. 
if, if Jesus is Lord, everything changes in our life. Do you hear what I'm saying? If Jesus is, see, see we like Jesus Savior because we don't want, we don't want eternity without him. But do we like Jesus Lord? Because to have Jesus as Lord means that your life doesn't belong to you anymore. That you don't follow around your impulses and your carnal thoughts anymore. Oh my goodness. That he becomes the Lord of your thoughts. He becomes the Lord of your life. And in order for that to occur, we have to do what he says do. Verse 47. I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me. Remember, we're talking about discipleship. What's that really look like? Jesus, in this passage, is teaching us what his, how his disciples respond to his teaching. If you're a disciple, it means that you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus Christ's doctrines and teachings. Jesus was grow, growing frustrated with some of his disciples. Okay, And out of frustration, he asked them a question. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. When you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you do not fear anything. You do not fear the economy. You do not fear uh, uh, gas prices. You do not fear anything because you've built your life on a rock. And that rock is Jesus Christ. And he told us that we would go through perilous times. He told us that, uh, that, that trouble would come to us in this world, but be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. We have to understand that when we build our life on a rock, which is the word of God, that we will always stand through every storm. Verse 49, here's what he... Here's the segment of the crowd he was growing frustrated with, okay? He first tells us how to be a good disciple, which is to listen to his teaching and follow it. But here's how to be a bad disciple, a bad follower, someone who is lukewarm, someone who is double-minded. But anyone who hears, because you're all hearing right now, and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. There is a cost in following this Jesus Christ. Father, as this word is going forth, I pray in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to relocate our lives. If there's any part of our lives in which we are living in disobedience and haven't built our lives on your word and we're not being obedient to your word, Lord, would you please forgive us? Because storms are coming and great will be the collapse of our house if it is not built on the rock. Father, would you deliver us from double-mindedness? Father, would you deliver us from lukewarmness? It's not enough to just hear the word of God. We must be obedient. A disciple not only hears the truth, 
but obeys the truth. And because they obey the truth, they can stand in the day of adversity. I thank you that these disciples that are hearing these words will obey your word as well. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The cost of following Jesus. Let's go to Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Many of us make a good start of this walk with Christ, but then along the way, we begin to compromise. We begin to make excuses. We begin to drop our guards. We begin to find ourselves living in sinful patterns again. So just because you've come to this church or go in any church doesn't make you a disciple, right? It's not the building that has power, it's the builder. And Jesus Christ was the builder of his church. We, if we're going to be Christians, if we're going to be a light, if we're going to be true disciples, we can't put all the power in this activity that's happening right now. I want you to know this, that you being in this building right now, listening to this message, does not make you holy. You being in this building right now, listening to this message, does not make you righteous. The only thing that makes you holy and righteous is not a thing at all, it's a person. And his name is Jesus. And as you love lovingly and faithfully obey him, he extends into you his righteousness. This is not, too many people use church as a shower. I, I, I've been living away from Lord, the Lord all week. Uh, I've been doing things that are not right. So I got to get to church on Sunday morning so I can take a spiritual shower and feel right again. But it's not about a feeling. It's about faith. You've got to walk by faith. You've got to walk in obedience to God. He knows the things that we do in secret, right? And that's why he can ask those questions like, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I say? So then what is the cost of following Jesus? If saving us cost him his life, then what is the price we pay to follow? Luke 9, 57 says this, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. That sounds like a new Christian right there. Woo, he saved me. Oh, he delivered me from sin. I, I, I threw away my Bon Jovi album and I, I got rid of all this stuff, right? I don't want to do, I don't want anything to do with the world anymore. He has saved me. And I'm saying to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. That's that excitement of the new believer, right? And it's good to have that excitement, but it's not excitement that keeps you. It's the Holy Spirit that keeps you. It's obedience that keeps you. It's prayer that keeps you. It's reading the word that keeps you, right? But here's what Jesus said to that excited disciple that wanted to follow wherever he went. Foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. So what is this meaning? This is not a luxurious walk, right? There's not going to be uh, 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 foot washing stations and, and grapes as big as your head on this walk because what he's basically saying is, listen, I don't even know where I'm going to sleep tonight. Are you sure you want to still follow me? Right? There's a cost in following me. He said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, First, say this with me, church, I must, I must guard, guard 
My first. The Lord's really been speaking to me about first. You got to guard your first. Even in the morning. What's that first thing that you do? We got to give our first thing to God. Even with our money. Who's first? Right? Because if he's not first, then another love has slipped in. Right? And what he, the warning that he gave to one of the churches in Revelations was, you have left your first love. We've got to get Jesus first again because when he's not first, we'll compromise. If girlfriend's first, we'll be willing to compromise with girlfriend. If work is first, we'll be, we'll be willing to compromise with overtime when we should be spending that time with the Lord. you got to guard your first. Keep God first, okay? The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first, he's talking to Jesus, about to tell him that you're not first, right? Lord, first, let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty, church, can you say my duty? duty. Is to go go. and preach about the kingdom of God. That's your first duty. Oh, my goodness. That would change the world. If preaching the gospel was your first duty, but, but it's like 10th sometimes, 15th sometimes. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm tired or I'm afraid or oh, I got this going on. I got that going on. No, first, put that first again. Verse 60, I'm sorry, 61. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Do we know what this means? Like, he he saved us to do something. He didn't just save us from uh, hell. He also preserved us that we might be workers in his kingdom. And and this is what the American, not just the American church, but every church has to get out of. We've become so lazy. We are just so content with doing the bare minimum, all right? Just the bare minimum. Uh, and, And he says this, once I saved you, I put your hands to a plow. And what are we plowing? Where are we going? He said this, and this is so true because I see it. It breaks my heart. I see it. He says this, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The hearers are many, but the laborers are few. It's the laborers that he's calling out to go, all right? So we celebrate Roe versus Wade, and we praise God that it's not legal to abort uh, babies anymore, uh, or at least some states will be adopting that, but there's still work to do. Praise God that that has happened, but are you ready for the work that's going to happen now? These women, do you not understand that there are going to be women who are pregnant and scared. They're going to be pregnant and afraid. They're going to be saying, I can't. I can't take care of this kid. I can't uh, quit work. I can't not go to school. And they're going to be so afraid. And I'm just hoping. I'm just hoping that wherever they are, they run into a true disciple who's out plowing. Right? out plowing and as they encounter this mother 
They're able to say, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be able to discern and say, hey, sweetheart, what's wrong? And do you know how I know that she will respond to you? Because you were sent. You were sent to Meyer. You were sent to Rite Aid. You were sent to the square, right? To encounter this mother that's worrying about what she's going to do since she can't have an abortion anymore. And what you can say is you can help her because all of her focus will be on how am I going to do this? But what you will be able to say as disciples of Jesus Christ is that with God's help, all things are possible. I know for sure that there have been some young mothers who made the decision to not have an abortion. And I, I tell you who's the most thankful? Those babies. Those babies are so thankful. And some of us don't even know that our mom had thoughts about doing it. But praise God, we are here, right? So it's so important that you actually be real disciples. This is just half of it, listening. Listening is only half of what you're required to do. The rest of it is to put your hands on the plow and go. Be an instrument of God. Use your voice. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you will become first in your church again, God. That the work you have called us to do will be primary, God. If, if you need to move us from our job so that we will obey, move us from our job. If the house is too much work, move us to an apartment. Whatever it takes for us to finally be obedient to you and put our hands to the plow, May it be so, because what does it profit a man to gain the entire world and lose his soul? That's the question I have for you this morning. What's first? If God's not first, what's first? What are you counting on that's going to save you? What are you going to give to God in exchange for your soul? What can you present to the creator of the universe that's something that he didn't make himself? He wants you. And he wants you to be faithful about his business. Even at the age of 13, Jesus was telling the, his parents that he must be about his father's business. Because here's the thing. If you put your hands to this plow, right? And can I have everybody's attention? If you put your hands to the plow... And you say, Lord, I've received your salvation. Use me for your kingdom. But then you do this and say, oh, man, he's cute. Oh, man, uh, I really need to work overtime so I can get this dream house or get out of debt. Or there's just something that's calling me. Lord, I know you love me. I know you saved me. But there's just something I want more and you let go of the plow and you turn around do you know what God calls you not fit for the kingdom of God do you hear that that's what God is saying if you're going to be saved then it means you're going to have to work as well being saved is not just about the worship that happens on a Sunday morning. Oh, I love you, and we're crying and all this stuff. But what about the work? 
Worship doesn't save anybody out there. Worship is not full obedience. For those who worship me will worship me in spirit and in truth. What is the truth? That if you take your hands off that plow, if you refuse to work in the kingdom of God, you're not fit for his kingdom. We think we are because the devil, demonic forces, have allowed compromise to come into our lives. And we think we can hold the plow with one hand and hold the world with the other. And when Jesus sees that, he calls us unfit. Let's bow our heads for a moment. There's some repenting that needs to be done. Just repent. I'm not even going to lead you in prayer. I got my own praying to do. May great repentance come for our laziness. May great repentance come for our just being half-hearted about this work that God has called us to do. Church is easy. All you have to do is come sit down, maybe sing a couple songs, but that doesn't save anybody. Father, hear these prayers that are about to come to your ear right now. In Jesus' name. Lot's wife was so close to being saved. Lot's wife was so close to deliverance. They didn't even have to run under their own power. The angels came and grabbed them by the hands and they were running with them. But what did Lot's wife do? She looked back. Church, we got to stop looking back. May no, my, my wife cannot be a higher priority than Jesus to me. He must be first. Your husband cannot be a higher priority than Jesus. He must be first. Listen to me. There are assignments. The enemy can send people into your life as an assignment to take your eyes off Jesus. Be careful. Let's continue. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26 says this. Here's the, true, the, the truth about what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. Then he said to them, this is the, let, me, let me just pause for a moment. This is the reason we need to be in our Bibles. Because we worship him in spirit and in truth. We need the truth to make sure our, our lives continue to align with what his word says. Then he said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What does this mean? Well, a cross is an instrument of death. And to follow Jesus fully, we have to die to our own selves. Do you know who my greatest opposition is in this world as it relates to following Jesus, it's not Satan. Satan's been defeated. My greatest hurdle in being a good disciple and good follower of Jesus Christ is the man I'm pointing at right now. It's me. 
It's me. I stand in my own way sometimes. And so do you. So what do we do with these selves? We pick up a cross and say, Father, I'm done living for me. That's what the cross signifies. He said, if you want to come after me, then you need to pick up your cross, deny yourself, I'm sorry, pick up your cross daily and follow me. So listen to me. What that tells me is that when we follow Jesus daily, there's going to be some things we need to die from moment by moment. He's going to ask us to do something. And, and, and Jimmy, Jimmy didn't ask me to say this in front of you all, but Jimmy Newsom is the one the trailer came from, okay? And he had engine parts on that trailer. That trailer was being used for his use. But when the Lord spoke to him, he had to use a cross and say, Lord, this trailer this is my only trailer, my only enclosed trailer, and I really want it for my business and what I need to do. But Jimmy had to pick up that cross and deny himself and say, okay, Lord, I'll do it. I'll follow you. Our Christianity is too easy if we're not dying every day. If you're not dying every day, I don't know if you're following the Lord. Because we got we to die every day to some kind of desire, some kind of thought that pops up. We need to pick up a cross and say, ooh, this is a hard thing that you're asking me to do, God. But I'm going to deny myself of this thing in order that I might follow you. Because think about it. If he's asking you to follow him, where are we going? We're going to paradise, right? We're going to eternal life with Jesus Christ. And there's nothing down here on this earth worth uh, keeping in order to lose our eternity with Jesus. So important. Verse 24, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he himself is destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when it comes to his own glory and in his fathers and of the holy angels. He says that we cannot be ashamed of him or his word. And he is a living and powerful word, this Jesus Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. It's not to the pastor that you're fully accountable. It's to the Lord that you're accountable. And the Lord God Almighty is one with his word. As we saw in Luke 9, he said, me and my word. So what is this discipleship for? Why do we need discipleship? Why do we need to follow the truth, to follow the way, to follow the life? In John chapter 8, you'll see the story of the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. And they dragged her out to Jesus, and they said, this word, the law, says she be stoned to death. But what do you say? What is your word, right? And what did he tell them? Verse 7, they kept demanding an answer, and he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one 
who has never sinned, throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. The Jesus stood up, then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, here's the discipleship, okay? Why do we need the words of Jesus? Listen, where are your accusers? Don't even one of them accuse, didn't even one of them accuse you? No, Lord, she said. Okay, so here's the discipleship. When Jesus speaks, it's truth and it's life. So what did he say to this woman after that? And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, what happens when we follow Jesus? Listen to this. This is the reason for being made disciples. Because you will have the light that leads to life. You won't have to walk in darkness. Why do we follow Jesus? Because we don't, we won't have to walk in darkness. So not only does Jesus show us the way, he empowers us so we don't have to sin anymore. So if you're still living under the power of sin, you're not following Jesus. You might be saved. You might have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. But if you're still living in sin, you're not following Jesus. Because he said here that I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. Sinners have to walk in darkness. Christians do not have to walk in darkness. Why? Because you will have the light. You will have the light that leads to life. Finally, in Hebrews, I'm sorry, Psalms chapter 119, we're told how to live until the end. This is how disciples are to live to the end. This is how his followers, see, Jesus went away to prepare a place for us his followers. Why? So that where he is, we might be also. So I have desired word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. I've promised it once and I'll promise it again. I will obey your righteous regulations. I have suffered much, O oh Lord. Restore my life again as you promised. What's he talking about? David was supposed to be away at war. But his troops weren't first anymore. His heart was out of line. And he was on the rooftop and he saw something else. And his heart desired that evil thing, someone else's wife. So he took his eyes off Jesus and went and had an adulterous affair. And out of that affair, he tried to cover it up. Still not putting God first. Called the husband home tried to do some trickery, didn't work. So now, the same army that he should have been with the whole time, he called a soldier home and said, listen, 
the next time the battle is hot around Uriah, I want you to withdraw and let him be killed. This is David. The heart playing David. He used to just worship the Lord with such an anointing and such power that they would call, Saul would call for David so that he would play the heart. Because what David did in Saul's presence was look to his first love and just worship on that harp. But now the harp was down. And now his eyes was on sinful things. So adultery led to murder. But David finally repented and said, Lord, it is against you and you only that I have done this evil and wicked thing in your sight. So when David says, I have suffered much, O Lord, restore my life again as you promised, he knows what he's talking about. Verse 108, Lord, accept my offering of praise and teach me your regulations. What's David asking for? I want to be a disciple again. Teach me your word, like the way. 109, my life constantly hangs in the balance, but I will not stop obeying your instructions. The wicked have set their traps for me, but I will not turn from your commandments. Your laws are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. I am determined to keep your decrees to the very end. Would you please stand with me this morning? Being a disciple isn't easy, but it's worth it. Following Jesus isn't easy, but it's worth it. Do you know that you can go to church every Sunday for 45 years and still miss heaven? Because coming to church is not what saves you. Jesus saves us. And since he saved us, he expects us to love him. And that expectation of love is this. If you love me, keep my commandments. Father, I pray for your disciples this morning. Let them not be weary in well-doing. For in due season they will reap if they faint not. They look around them. And the world seems to be moving ahead. But what they don't realize, God, is where the world is headed. They've been patient, God. There's, there's women here and men here that have been single. And they're being patient, God. Let them remain patient. There's people, God, that have an opportunity to take advantage of people for money, whether that be through a business or work. But Lord, let them not be weary in well-doing. It's never worth it to take shortcuts. It's never worth it to enter into sin for a blessing because sin does not yield blessings. It only yields death. The reward is with God. If we are willing and obedient, we will eat the good of the land. Church, God has given us the Holy Spirit to remind us of all truth. So this week, would you commit to making the word of God first? Instead of Facebook and TikTok and the news and a cup of coffee, whatever it might be, 
would you reach for the word first? Because as he put in my heart earlier this week that when you reach for the word first thing in the morning, it's like reaching for God's hand to walk you through the day. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you will be first again. Lord, please don't let the devil steal this message. Please let it fa fall on a good ground, God. And may it bring forth 100-fold fruit. We don't want to miss you for anything, God. We want to see your face in peace. In Jesus' name, amen.